Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Today on the Live Healthy podcast, we have Alex McRobert. She's a former party person turned sober coach and yoga teacher. She's also a full-time teacher and fellow Canadian. Welcome, Alex. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Anne. I'm so happy to be here. Um, we, I, we, I found you on TikTok, which is yes. funny because you joined TikTok when? October. October. Okay. And you've been spreading your message there and on Instagram and online. You have a 30 day sober girls yoga challenge. You have an ebook available through your website, mindfullifepractice.com. And you just launched a Facebook group for um, what is called UAE alcohol free. Yes. Yeah. So um, the UAE alcohol free kind of came up out of this realization that I had been to a lot of um, expat oriented events where there were all inclusive packages that only included alcohol on the menu. And I realized that there must be more people than just me having this issue. And so I created a Facebook group and the amount that it grew um, overnight was like unbelievable. It maybe had one member, me, and then a day later had like 50 people join. Um, And it's all people in the country looking for the same thing, which is events that are inclusive to um, people that don't drink, whether it's, you know, having non-alcoholic drinks on a all-you-can-drink menu that's included um, or, you know, there's often teacher specials or lady, ladies nights where you can drink for free or get 50% off, but there's no mocktails, for example, included on that menu. And so people in the group share um, referrals to places around the UAE where they feel included as a sober person. So it's really cool. It can actually be more expensive. Like I remember one night I went to a comedy night and I didn't want to drink, but I was very, very thirsty. And I thought when I left that I had spent more on drinks that night than I would have if I was drinking alcohol. Oh, absolutely. Like the ginger ale was like 40 dirhams or something nuts. Mm -hmm. They bought a, we did it when I was at the national, we did a big series on water, what they charge for water here. And, and, and the restaurants have done a lot to address that, but you found that too, right? Like you just, yeah, absolutely. I have been to, like, I remember one of the first ladies nights I went to sober, it was 99 dirhams for all you can drink wine. And then the only thing they had, I was like, can I have something else? They were like, well, you can have water, but it's going to cost you 25 dirhams extra. And I was like, this is just the most right. ridiculous thing um, that I, I have to. You should right. have all night long. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I've been to brunches where pe- the, the, first of all, I was served an alcoholic drink once because someone misunderstood my order. And then I went to another brunch where, um, you know, I call in advance to find out what they have to offer. And this was uh, at Mr. Miyagi's in Abu Dhabi. They were actually amazing. Um, but I really, I had to go up to the manager and he said to me, no one's ever asked for this before. And then he had to, he had to pull a blender out of the cupboard and like wash it. He was oh. amazing. He, he said to me all night, just come back to me. So that's a shout out to them. Um, but you know, that's not the case at a lot of venues. A lot of venues will just say, oh, sorry, we don't have anything for you. And then, you know, you have to drink Diet Coke. And so even brunches, I've asked for a coffee. 
I mean, I'll drink, but I've asked for a coffee and they're like, it's not included. You have to pay extra. It's just ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. So let's just go back to, you moved here <laughs> six years. Let's go back to the beginning, but you moved back here six years ago from Canada. And what, like sort of explain to me this, how this transpired. You landed as an expat and you were, you drink, you drank. So what sort of, what was your life like then? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Canada, um, like you, where the culture around drinking was just a normal part of my upbringing. Um, my parents, my family, you know, everyone was drinking responsibly, but I was surrounded by alcohol and amongst my friends, you know, uh, it was normal as sort of a rite of passage as a teenager to, to start drinking. And so I grew up um, and had this kind of relationship with alcohol to begin with. And so when I came abroad, I actually moved to Kuwait first. And um, when I was moving to Kuwait, everyone said to me, you know, alcohol is illegal there. <laughs> and um, I was 23 at the time. And so I ended up there and being in an extreme situation where alcohol was illegal had me develop a bit of a mindset around it where I became obsessed with like flying out of the country for weekends and vacations to party. And my big party destination was here, it was the UAE. And so... I would come here um, for the weekends, for brunches, um, for these all you can drink situations. And so when I finished my contract in Kuwait, I said, you know, I cannot wait to move to a country where alcohol is legal. And um, I moved to Abu Dhabi. And so I thought all this time I was kind of unhappy in Kuwait. And I kept thinking, you know, once I live in a country where alcohol is legal, then I'll be happier. I had this kind of mindset around it. And I got here and being here actually made things worse um, because as we kind of talked about, there is this normalization of these brunches where you can all you can drink or these ladies nights and it became perfectly normal to go out for drinks on like a Tuesday. Um, and there is a bottle shop in my building and so I could walk down and get a bottle of wine anytime. And so I found myself progressively drinking more and more. Um, and I would call myself as almost like a gray area drinker because I was able to do it, but it didn't inf impact my work. You know, I'm, I'm a full-time teacher and I was able to, I was still kind of the top of the game, like thought of as one of the best teachers in the school. Um, and so no one knew that it was something that was like a growing problem for me outside of work. When you say growing problem, how was that? How did that exhibit in your life? So when I quit, there are a couple of memories that in particular that became really prominent to me and I think when I was younger and in Kuwait I didn't realize how much my my um thinking was revolving around alcohol you know I can't wait to leave to have a drink I can't wait to go on vacation to have a drink um but as I was getting closer to my end of my time drinking there were a couple occasions where I did not have access to alcohol and one was New Year's Eve I was in uh Southeast Asia backpacking, um, was riding up the Mekong River, going to stay at a Laotian village on the bank of the Mekong River for New Year's Eve, which is like the most amazing New Year's Eve ever, right? And I was completely pissed off because I found out that there was no alcohol. And this idea that I could not have a beer on New Year's Eve, like ruined my New Year's. And I was seriously considering flying to Bangkok <laughs> um, because I was just so annoyed. And that was a moment for me of like, you know, this is really affecting me. And I had a very similar occasion a few months later. I was with my mom in Morocco. We hiked up the high Atlas Mountains on my birthday. We're going to stay in a homestay again. And I realized that alcohol would not be available. And so 
I, you know, bought a bottle of wine and walked up the mountain with the wine on my back and was saying to my mom, you know, you can't share this with anyone. This is my wine. And um, this was when I really realized, you know, when it's impacting the way that I'm enjoying my life and my whole thought is around this, like this is where it's becoming a problem. Yeah. Okay. And what about emotionally, like from the, the amounts you were drinking, like what sort of things, you know, did you have uh, in mood imbalances, all that yes. kind of, yeah. So this is really interesting. Um, I had struggles with my mental health since I was a young teenager around the exact age that I started drinking. And I never, ever identified two and two <laughs> until I quit drinking. I never was able to, to realize, you know, I was in and out of, you know, seeking help for my mental health. And no one ever said to me, or maybe I just didn't listen, you know, what you're drinking is directly correlated to how you're feeling. Um, and, and you often, a lot of us who drink our whole adult life includes alcohol in it. So even if you're drinking a small amount and you're someone that's susceptible to, um, mental health problems, it can really impact you. And, um, I truly didn't realize it until, you know, maybe three weeks sober. I was, I, and I saw the, you know, clarity and contrast and I was like, wow, that was a huge factor. Um, but yeah, it was really negatively impacting me. Okay. But it was everything you'd always known. So you're just like, you don't, when you're sitting in a downward dark spiral on Thursday, cause you went to ladies night on Tuesday or, you know, you don't, you're not, you're just not adding it up. You just, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You also talked about, I saw on TikTok today, hangxiety. Yes. <laughs> this is a phenomenon. I've learned so many of these words since going sober and kind of connecting into the sober world, but this is something that I didn't even realize had a name, anxiety. It is the feeling when you wake up the morning after drinking and you know, when you're panicked that everyone hates you because you forgot things that you've done or said, um, I've learned that hangovers can actually induce panic attacks because of dehydration. So it has a real scientific link. Um, and then plus you're forgetting things or you're, um, you're worried about, you know, what you've done or said. And, and I did this all the time. I would spiral into thinking that everyone hated me and I would have to message all my friends the morning after to be reassured that no one hated me. And it turns out that I wasn't the only person experiencing this. This is like a universal thing that people who drink experience. Yeah. That is unbelievable. So, um, okay. So you're going through all this and you decide, you decide you want to stop drinking. Well, okay. So there were a few things that kind of triggered the idea in my head. One of which was my, uh, uncle Rick, um, who I have a very close relationship with in Canada. He never got married, never had kids. And he's almost like a third kind of parent role model in my life. Um, I grew up watching him drink all the time. Uh, he works in marketing and sales. So he was always entertaining clients, taking them out for beers. Um, and he quit alcohol four years ago. And, and for him, it was like, I'm just going to take a break. And then, you know, two days turns into five, turns into a few weeks and, um, his entire life changed. Like not only, um, you know, he lost 80 pounds. Um, and that was not only the alcohol, but the, the junk food, the hangover food, you know, the donut and coffee you eat the next day. Um, and he was just kind of like glowing, like he completely transformed his life. And so I remember watching him and thinking, you know, this is amazing. Um, and then of course, if you're in the point where you're kind of worried about your drinking, you're Googling, you know, I'm worried about my drinking. And then you start getting targeted ads. 
<laughs> so I was getting targeted ads for an organization about people that were, you know, around my age and quit drinking. So I kind of had this idea in my head um, that was influenced by these uh, things. So that was kind of going on in the background. And um, it was slowly kind of, it was something that I was thinking about doing, but I wasn't sure if I was ready. And of course, you know, there were all these special occasions for me, like that trip to Southeast Asia. Um, I was traveling, I was traveling a bunch at the time that I wanted to quit. Um, and it was around the time of the Special Olympics and I had a childhood friend and her dad come out and visit um, because her brother was competing in the Special Olympics. And of course, you know, I'm entertaining them by taking them out to drinks all the time. And so it kind of started to um, dawn on me during the Morocco trip, you know, I think I need to take a break. Um, so initially it was only 28 days off of alcohol. That was my initial commitment. Um, I signed up for an online program and, uh, then after about seven days, it was probably the most hardest seven days of my life. Um, because first of all, your brain, uh, is recalibrating without the alcohol and it's compensated to having alcohol in your system for so long. Um, so I was kind of having mental health and mood, um, issues. And also all my friends were trying to pressure me to come drink with them. Um, so I remember there was a big, uh, there was this occasion every term at school where, um, they would have, you know, the first round of drinks for free for happy hour. And, um, all my friends were saying, you know, come have a drink. It's free. Just have one. It's no big deal. And I'm like, how do I, you know, tell them that I've, that I'm trying to take a break. And so it was easier to just kind of withdraw from people around me. And so I, there was just no physical community around me and nothing I could really find in the UAE, um, to support me. And so I said I was doing 28 days. And then after I got through the first week, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to do 90 days. Like, this is just too short of a time for me to transform my relationship with alcohol. By the time I hit maybe day 21, I remember thinking at the time, because I remember I went out on a date with someone who I had to break it to them. Like, I'm not drinking. And I was downplaying it. You know, it's just a break from alcohol. It's, it's short term. But I knew in my head, you know, I don't want to drink ever again. Um, so I remember having that transformation that early and then, yeah, it just became, it just became long-term and I never would have foreseen myself making a career out of it. Honestly, like if you had told me two years ago that I would be now like sober yoga girl, I would have laughed so hard, um, <laughs> it was never something I intended. And, and when I started sharing about it on social media, like for the very beginning time, I was very secretive about it. I didn't want anyone to know. The reason I ended up sharing it was because, um, so in this Facebook group that I joined and I quit with, um, I had kind of built up a really big following because I had been writing a lot of posts and they asked me, can, can you do a testimonial for us? Kind of like those original testimonials that I read, um, so many years before and, um, or not years before, sorry, months before I was like, I want to do a testimonial, but I'm afraid people I know will come across it. So I'll just put it on my own page first and that way it won't be you know gossip and it will be coming from me and then when i shared the story i was just overwhelmed by how much support i got from the people around me and then it just kind of built over time you know i was sharing bits and pieces of like you know milestones benefits of sobriety and then just kind of over time kind of got to where i am now so i know i mean i had a similar expat journey just in i had no idea how much 
drinking there would be when I arrived here. And it just sort of like overwhelmed me. And then all the British people around drink so much more, <laughs> so much more. Yeah. Not, like it's a completely different culture, right? But I know when I was like, I know I've had friends who quit drinking and they went to AA. I know when I was like struggling with the amount that I was drinking, I would do that Googling thing. Like, do I have a problem drinking? It always, it's always, it's AA. Like always you have to quit. Yeah. This was a while ago though. Like this has really changed in the time that I've seen. This would be like 13, 12, 11 years ago. It was sort of AA or, or you keep drinking. Like there was no gray area. And totally this agree. I've totally seen happen. So I just wondered what you think about the sort of Alcoholics Anonymous route where you go to the meetings, you quit drinking, you stay sober or what you did, which is like put a toe into it, get mm -hmm. a little bit of the help. Like, I just wondered what you, how you feel about those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, forever, like as you described, AA was the only thing that people had heard of. And, and there is this big philosophy amongst um, first of all, being in the sober world, I've met all different kinds of people. I've met people who, you know, credit AA to saving their life. And like, that is amazing. And then I've met people that have done a bit of AA. It's helped them, you know, get their sea legs under them. And then they've found something alternative. And then I've met people like me who have gone the alternative route the whole time. And so I don't mean at all to like put down AA, um, because I know that it's worked for like millions of people. Um, but for myself, um, the whole, first of all, I thought AA was the only way for a long time. And I didn't know that there was anything else out there. And for myself, I just do not identify with the whole concept of um, referring to myself as an alcoholic. Um, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with me. I think that alcohol is an addictive substance like nicotine, like any other drug, it's addictive, right? And for some reason in this whole AA concept, we have people walk into a room and say, I'm an alcoholic and um, this is something I'm gonna live with for the rest of my life. Whereas, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's like that label is not gonna resonate with them. Um, this whole, that whole model is not gonna resonate with them. And, you know, I am this huge advocate of like, this is every individual's journey, right? Some people don't even like the word sober because it has so much stigma. Some people prefer to call themselves dry. Some people say, you know, I'm a teetotal. Some people love the term alcoholic. And like for every individual, I, I really encourage people to kind of go on this journey on their own and see what is right for them. And as you said, the whole dipping in the toe thing, exactly. Like in AA, there is this whole concept of like, you know, if you have one drink, that's a relapse and you're back at day one. And I say to people all the time, you know, it's like, imagine that it's like a test, right? Let's say dry January is a test. And there were 31 days in January and you drank two times. You were sober for 29 days. It's 29 out of 31. That is like a massive accomplishment. And you're here and you're showing up and like, you're not a failure if you had a drink. Right. And yeah. so I'm really an advocate of like, I try to do it in the most like open-minded and inclusive way possible. Um, and that's not to say that there's like anything wrong with the AA model. I just think that it's really amazing and important that there's like different options all around. Um, and, you know, at the end goal, um, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing is like, we want people to develop mindfulness around their drinking and um, live like happier and healthier lives. And like whatever route you get there is like an individual's choice. Well, the internet has really done, has done this, you know, it used to be that 
if you wanted to retrain in something, you had to quit your job and go back to school. And now you can take like a course with a coach and you can have that one skill while you're doing everything else. It's sort of like that. It's just offering other ways. So I'm Absolutely. curious, when you, so you've started doing this, you're doing, you're building this up as your career. Um, what sort of people, like, is it just, is it people like you that come to you and how do you coach them? Yeah. Um, so I basically have a few different things going on. Um, the first is the mindful life practice, which is my kind of overarching, um, community. And that is just an online movement and mindfulness community. You know, we have yoga, we have Pilates, we have meditation. Um, and we have like participants from all over the world, sober, not sober. Um, it's like very open and inclusive. And then sober girls yoga was like born underneath that. I would often describe it as like, you know, the mindful life practice is like a building and sober girls yoga is just like a room in the building. Um, and so sober girls yoga is a, um, community program for people that identify as women, um, to quit, uh, drinking for a period of time and develop a daily yoga practice. Um, and that's because I think there's a really important, there's a, there's an integral theory of, um, addiction that has, you know, the different buckets that you need to fill. And one is community. One is spirituality. One is physical health. And I believe the last one is emotional health. Um, and I think in our yoga community, we kind of, uh, hit all those, those buckets because we meet for, so we have daily yoga classes, but they, they're offered on zoom. And as part of that, there is like this 15 minute check-in that almost, um, I mean, I've never been to an AA meeting, but I would imagine it replicates that kind of environment in that each person gets a, a space to talk. And I have a, like, you know, we pick up the talking stick and kind of share, how we're doing. Um, and so we form these really close friendships in this strong community. Um, and then as part of the yoga practice, you know, there's the physical element of the workout and there's the, the spirituality around it. Um, and so there's daily emails sent that I've written um, that kind of teach on yoga philosophy, which has been a key kind of turning point for me in, um, in kind of feeling happier and understanding um, sort of how I relate to the world. Okay. So and it's like, it's like an anchor in, yep. in you take that a call, you may have that as an anchor. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, I love that description. Yeah. And so that is um, my main group program. And then additionally, I work one-on-one -on -one with individuals. I call that sober rebels coaching. Um, and in those environments, I work with everyone. So I have lots of male clients. I have women that are also in sober girls yoga. I have women that are not interested in yoga at all. Um, and the one-on-one -on -one work is just very tailored and customized to the individual. Um, so I will meet them either weekly or once every two weeks or once a month, depending on like what kind of support they need. Um, and pretty much it takes the direction of whatever the individual wants. Um, what I often say is that I help people create a life that they don't need alcohol to escape from. So often there is a reason why we're drinking so much. Um, for me, it was that I was just really unhappy. Um, I was in kind of a career path. I love teaching, but it just does not feel like it's my kind of purpose and passion. And I continued to drink and was not um, addressing, you know, what I really wanted to do with my life, which was like helping people and helping them heal through exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, and so in the one-on-one -on -one coaching, we really kind of get to the bottom of like, what is going on? Is it your job? Is it, is it your, um, work environment? Is it your relationship? Like what, um, how can we kind of 
change your life so that you're you're getting fulfillment from from elsewhere other than drinking well because when you are drinking too much it feels like everything's wrong doesn't it like even when mm -hmm. you're not even drinking too much you party on the weekend you go out once in the middle of the week doesn't that make you feel like everything is wrong in your life like just absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> so you're not able to look at what's actually going on because you're drinking and make it not <laughs> it's a very confusing situation um, yeah. What are the kinds of things that people encounter when they stop drinking from like their social group that they have? Like, did you lose friends? Do you find yes. people's friends? Yeah. How do they deal yeah. with that? Um, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges is that we often are surrounded by people that are like-minded to us, that have like-minded interests, like-minded hobbies, and that just naturally happens through life. And I know for myself, um, my community here in the UAE was very much into brunches and ladies nights. And that was because when I came here, that was what I was into. And so um, when I was quitting, it was just really hard for me because my community could not relate to me. Um, and they almost didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to support me. Um, and so it kind of created a, a distance between us. And um, it became very clear very early on, you know, who my real friends were because there were some people who just completely disappeared, um, from my life. And then there are some who, you know, so I experienced a lot of peer pressure, um, from everyone, from friends, from colleagues. I found the best thing for me. And I, and I advise this to people is like, oftentimes you don't want to tell the whole story because it's so personal. And so you might say, you know, I'm on antibiotics or I'm driving or whatever, but when you have little reasons like that for not drinking it opens the window for people to pressure you they'll say oh just leave your car here you know i'll drive you here in the morning to pick it up or oh you can you can drink on all antibiotics i've done that before um and when you actually tell people the truth um however much of the truth you want to share like you know i'm quitting drinking because i was struggling with my mental health and as much as it makes people uncomfortable to like be in a bar and for me to be like shouting that over the music at them, um, it helped because they understood. And then it kind of eliminated that pressure that I was experiencing. Um, so I often say to people, like, just, just be honest with people and also be aware that sometimes, like I had a group of friends here who I kind of grew apart with for a while. And now we've kind of evolved back and circled back together. And so it's not like the friendship was completely gone. It just kind of needed time to like evolve and change and adjust. Um, but I definitely think it's sort of up for you to decide, like, are these people able to support me um, still on this? And some people might be amazing at it. Like my friends from high school, you know, made me alcohol-free mimosas when I got home and my mom fills up the fridge with alcohol-free beer and wine. And so, you know, there are some people that totally can support you and some people who it's harder for them. Um, and so it's sort of finding, you know, what is going to be best for me. Where do you think that pressure, where do you think people putting that pressure on you comes from? It's like, cause it's intense. It's, it, it doesn't stop. Yes. I think it comes from, um, I hate to say it, but I, I've read in books that, you know, the pressure people pressure you because when you talk about your issues with alcohol, it almost holds up they're not thinking about you, they're thinking about them. Um, and I know when I was still a drinker, I would pressure people to drink too, because it would make me feel better about how much I was drinking. Um, so if, you know, if you end up like, let's take this guy that I went out with, for example, on a date, you know, he's alone and he's the only one drinking in this 
situation that is stressful because it's a first date. And so it would just make him more comfortable if I was drinking as well. And so it had nothing to do with him trying to pressure me to break my sobriety. It was purely just um, him reflecting on his own dynamic with drinking. And so I think we often take it very personally. Um, but what I say often, one of my main like points in yoga all the time is that like no one does anything because of you, they do it because of them. And so if someone's pressuring you, it's, it's not about you and trying to make you drink. It's about something going on internally with them. Um, and so that has kind of helped me to, to make sense of it and understand it. I, I have noticed that in my own life that the people that kick up the biggest fuss, I read that too. And I read it in a magazine article It said the people who make a big deal about you not drinking are the people who have some sort of issue with drinking and exactly. it's like you doing it. And then once you know that it's really interesting to see it, right? Because some people just be like, oh, you're not drinking. Okay. Whatever. Like it's no big deal. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've been out on nights. I'm thinking of like, you know, I used to be part of a choir and I went out for a ladies night with them and it was like, totally fine that I didn't drink. Like it was just completely, it didn't even matter. And then, you know, you end up in other dynamics where people are, you know, can't you just have one? Why do you need to quit altogether? Like, you know, let's not get too crazy, Alex. Like, and, um, it's, it's purely, yeah, it, it depends on each person's individual relationship with alcohol themselves. So what, how about having fun? Cause that's what people always say. I like to drink. I like to have fun. Is your life still fun? And how do you make it fun? Is it more fun? I don't know. I would say my life is a hundred times more fun. <laughs> um, I totally was afraid that, that I wouldn't have fun at all. Um, when I quit, but the problem is that we identify or connect fun with drinking. You know, we associate, um, fun with having a drink in our hand. And so we think when we're not having a drink, we're not going to have fun. And that's due to like, you know, the way alcohol has been marketed towards us in movies, in advertisements. Um, and I'll give you an example. Like I, one of my first sober big events was my sister's wedding. And I was so worried about it because I was going to be amongst all these, you know, family and childhood friends. And I thought that I wouldn't be having as much fun with them because I wouldn't be drinking alcohol. And at the end of the night, I was like, wow, I remember every moment of this wedding and I was so present and, and there was nothing that I did that I would have regretted the next morning. There was nothing that I would feel anxious about. Um, I was able to support, you know, whatever my sister needed, I was able to be there for her. And I think if I had been drinking, I wouldn't have been able to, um, to do any of that. And at the end of the weekend, I was like, I am so happy that I was sober. Like that was just a wonderful occasion. Um, and I feel that way about everything. You know, my first work Christmas party was emotional for me because I used to be on the social committee at work planning these events. I was the girl at the front saying, you know, here's a gin, for, gin and tonic for you. Here's a vodka for you. And like, I'm going to have one too. And, and that was who I was. And I remember the first work Christmas party being so nervous about it. And then it was like one of my, the best nights of the year, because I was like, I just feel so good about myself. I haven't embarrassed myself. I haven't, there's nothing I regret. Um, and so I'm actually having much more fun without it, but it is a big kind of mental thing. You have to work your head around when you realize that, you know, we can convince ourselves of narratives in our heads and a lot of us are just convinced that we need alcohol to have fun. <laughs> and once you rewrite that story, you can have lots of fun. <laughs> How do you deal with talking to drunk people? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, to be honest, I find it kind of boring. <laughs> no, I was going to say it's horrible. 
they're more, they need everything and they're always hitting you. Yes. You. <laughs> and you can't actually engage in a, in a meaningful conversation because they don't remember it. Um, so that's one of my things. It's like, I'm still having fun at parties, but I just find that, um, I, and it's, I, in a way have like grown away, um, from a lot of the, the brunches or the ladies nights, because I just find that I'm not able to have like deep and meaningful conversations with people, um, which is like what I'm more interested in now. Yeah. Yeah. Or at the beginning you can and yes. monitor their levels of drinking. Um, yes. okay. So what would your advice be to someone just who's struggling right now? Who's in that sort of gray area that you're talking about unhappy. Um, what would you think, what would you tell them to do? Yes. The first thing I would say would be to like reach out. Um, I felt like I was the only person in the world going through this um, because I didn't know anyone else that had. And as soon as I got into, you know, the sober Facebook group that I joined, it was like 6,000 people going through the same thing. And you start to realize that you're not alone. Um, and so I would say reach out, even like, even if you're not ready to actually quit, even just following me on Instagram and just kind of reading about my journey can help. Um, and so I would recommend kind of reach out, kind of see what's out there, because as you say, like there is a lot now, it's not just AA and there's a lot of people kind of speaking out on their experiences. Um, so I would say that I would also say that, you know, the biggest thing for me was for years, I, I wanted to quit, but I thought I couldn't do it. And I, would say to my friends, like, I want to quit drinking. And I just never would actually follow through with it. And the biggest change for me in the time that I finally quit for good was that it was almost like I drew this line in the sand, you know, I don't drink anymore. It's not even a question. No. And as soon as I had this mindset shift, it was like, I believed in my potential and then it was just easy. Um, and so I would also recommend to people that feel like they can't do it. Um, it's like something that, you know, it's like a mindset shift around it. Um, and, and, and it will happen when you're ready. Um, and yeah, so that's what I would encourage. Cause don't like, I, I see a lot of people who are trying to control their drinking by going out and just not drinking very much and then getting very upset at themselves when they drink too much. I, I do it too, where you like, I don't know. Can you kind of speak to that? Because if you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go there, but I'm not going to drink. And then you do drink because I guess by the third drink, you're not, you're not, you're not making decisions. Like, can you just kind of speak to that? Yeah. Do you think you can cut down your drinking? For me personally, it was, um, just unrealistic. The idea of moderating, um, for me, it had to be kind of black and white, um, because of exactly what you described. Like I would say, I'm going to cut back, I'm going to reduce my drinking. And then you just are in these patterns where one becomes two becomes three. And so for myself, it was a clear cut, you know, I don't drink. Um, there are some people I know who can successfully moderate. And I think that that is something that, you know, I wouldn't say is impossible because I know people that do it. Um, but for myself, it was making this clear cut, you know, I'm taking a 28 day break um, or, you know, taking sort of whatever period of time feels right for you. Um, and then maybe after you've had enough distance, then maybe it's something that you can introduce once you feel like you've totally kind of reset your mindset. Um, but yeah. I think what gets lost, like, how do you feel not drinking compared to drinking? So, so much better. Okay. So much better. Someone said to me this week, 
who was it? Oh yeah, I was speaking to um, uh, my friend Erica in Dubai and she was saying that um, she's like, I've never met anyone that regrets giving up alcohol. And I was like, 100%, like if you, um, once you give it up, it's just like, there's so many benefits. Like I'm sleeping better. My skin is better. Um, my mental health is better. My physical health is better. I'm richer. I have more time, you know, started my businesses, which I never would have started had I been drinking. Um, because a lot of it, like all of my work I do after my regular work day. And so it's time when I would have been drinking in the past. And so it's just, all of this has come from this one lifestyle change. Um, I have no regrets about it at all. That's amazing. That's a good endorsement. <laughs> energy you're drinking and the drinking took away your energy. It's like, it's amazing to see. Okay. Yeah. So Alex McRobert follow, what are you on Instagram and TikTok? Is it it's Alex McRobbs. Alex McRobbs, follow her on TikTok and Instagram. It's interesting. Um, and thank you so much for talking about all this and your mindfullifepractice.com. People can find you there to do the coaching. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Anne. This was wonderful. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.